this is my first time ever to attempt to preach or teach through Revelation in a comprehensive way. Um, and so, Lord willing, we're going to spend some time, probably most of 2024, uh, just going through this book, okay? And while the kids are finding the, the bingo pictures, um, I'd like to explain some disclaimers with regard to preaching through this book, okay? So if you want to take mental notes uh, or, or paper notes, I mean, like, there's a little section in your bulletin insert, but it might be helpful later because I'm, I'm going to warn you right now, okay, about three things. First of all, I am most likely not going to preach it straight through, okay, for reasons that I don't want to get into now. However, I do plan to preach through the whole book with some breaks in between major sections, because uh, that, that's how I prefer to do expository preaching, and, and that's how I think a book itself says it's, it's intended to be read. Like, he says, you know, don't take anything away from this book, don't add to it, right? So, secondly, uh, there will almost certainly be some conclusions that I come to that you might disagree with in secondary theological issues, and that is okay, all right? So you're going to need to have some grace. Um, for example, the nation of Israel, kind of a hot topic right now, right? And if you are a, a full-on Zionist who thinks, you know, God has two distinct peoples, then you're going to disagree with me in some ways, okay? On the other end of the spectrum, if you believe in straight-up replacement theology and you think that means God is completely done with the ethnic nation of Israel, you will probably also disagree with me in some ways, okay? Another example is, is eschatology, Okay, which is, means the study of the end times. If I were to wager a guess, I would probably say 90% of this, the, the crowd in this room, and probably listening online also, ascribes to what is known as premillennial uh, dispensationalism, and probably pre-trib, or pre-tribulation, premillennial dispensationalism. Even if you don't know what that means, you probably believe it. Okay? I'm serious. All right? Uh, even if you don't know what I said, if you, if you, if you go, you know what? the Left Behind series makes sense, <laughs> then, then you're probably in that camp. And I currently tend to lean that way as well, okay? But I've never done a very intense study. And so we're going to see where the book of Revelation takes us, all right? Um, but, but let's be clear, your perspective on any of these side issues does not affect your salvation, okay? I just want to make sure we're, because we're not all going to agree, and that is okay, there's a lot we can be wrong about and still believe on Jesus and, and have eternal life, okay? So, so bear that in mind. Uh, and finally, I want to express something that I will not be doing, and that is I will not be correctly nailing down the meaning of every sign and symbol in Revelation, nor will I be giving you the definitive timeline in which the world will end. In fact, I'm not even going to try that one, okay? That is, that's not what the book of Revelation is for. We're not going, neither was that, we're not going to spend an inordinate amount of time just speculating. I don't feel like that's helpful, okay? So here's what I mean. There are some passages in Revelation, especially at the beginning and at the end, they are very clear, okay? And they say specific things that should be taken at face value and applied to the life of every Christian and every church, okay? We're going to be taking these very transparent passages in smaller chunks, because we need to get really deep in those. There are other sections of Revelation, though, that are extremely opaque, and they are far more open to interpretation and even misinterpretation, and, and we may go more quickly through these sections because they are not as clear and the application is murkier, 
Okay, so in other words, today we're going to tackle three verses, all right? But there may be times where I read two whole chapters in one Sunday later on, and that's okay. So just be aware of all of this, and then let's, let's ask the Lord to prepare us to dive into this incredibly deep book, all right? Father God, I thank you so much for your word. Lord, this is, this is one of those books that uh, sometimes I feel like it gets an inordinate amount of attention uh, from, from some uh, camps, and then it gets nowhere near enough attention from others. Um, Father, it's one of those books that, uh, that people that aren't even a part of the church often find so much uh, interest in this, and, and God, I just want to ask that you give us the ability to have wisdom and proper discernment as we look at this, Lord. Um, I pray that you will give me wisdom and discernment as I try to lead the church in a study on this book. And Father, I ask for, uh, I ask for, for faithfulness in, in preaching and teaching, Father, and I ask for faithfulness in hearing and listening. God, help us to, uh, to be of one mind, even if we may not agree on all the details, to be of one mind in not only who Christ is and what he did for us, but how we are to relate to him and relate to one another and to the world around us. And so we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, church, can anyone identify the human instrument of the Holy Spirit that authored the book of Revelation? John, yes. It was the apostle John. This is, this is the disciple whom Jesus loved, right? That's how he referred to himself. Um, I used to think that was kind of an arrogant statement <laughs> for John to make, you know, to call himself the disciple Jesus loved. And, but then since, I, I guess my mind has been changed on that because wouldn't it be awesome if every single Christian felt so close to Jesus that we are comfortable referring to ourselves as the disciple Jesus loved. Wouldn't that be amazing? Well, John was an interesting case. According to church tradition, he's the only apostle that was not martyred for his faith. Okay, he actually died of old age. Uh, and he apparently did undergo some serious persecution um, under the, the Roman emperor Domitian, um, and according to one of the early church fathers, it's a guy named Tertullian, or Tertullian, I'm probably pronouncing it wrong, Wyatt. They get it right? Okay, good. Tertullian. The, apparently, they plunged John into boiling oil at some point, and he was unharmed. So they're like, well, if that's not going to kill him, let's just send him to Patmos. <laughs> and so I guess Patmos was like uh, the Oklahoma of, I'm just kidding, I'm kidding, Chris. <laughs> um, Either way, John wouldn't stop preaching about Christ's death and resurrection, so he was exiled to an island called, called Patmos, and it was there that he received this series of visions from God that he wrote down. We refer to it as the Revelation of St. John. It, by the way, it's, it's singular. <laughs> Just I know we all are tempted to say revelations. It's revelation. Anyway. Um, we're going to get some, some more bits and pieces of history as we go through the book, but for now, let's just know uh, that's the background here. And John was probably, he's probably in his 70s. He may have even been in his 80s at the time that, that he wrote Revelation. So uh, we're going to take a look at the introduction to the book today. It's actually called the prologue in most of our, our English Bibles, if, if it has the little subtitle things. Um, and we're going to get some, there's a lot of good stuff out of this. Um, but you may have noticed that a lot of the speculation on the book of Revelation focuses on the where, the how, and especially the when that all these things are going to go down, right? But that doesn't seem to be John's priority in the opening of, of his record. In fact, the first three verses give us instead the why, the who, and the what of Revelation. And so that's where we're going to start in verse 1. Good place to start, right? The Revelation of Jesus Christ 
which God gave him to show the servants, uh, show to his servants the things that must soon take place. So, friends, John begins this book with the reason God reveals. This is the why behind all, all the scary, bizarre, and even comforting visions that are to come. Because remember, the word revelation literally means something that is being revealed. You know, typically something that's previously hidden. And so we learn in this, this short sentence God's reasoning behind revealing these things to John. So firstly, and, and, and forgive my stating the obvious, but it is the Father's will to reveal these things. You know, God is fully capable of hiding anything that he wants to hide from whomever he chooses to hide it. And likewise, he may reveal things to whomever he chooses. You know, Proverbs 25 says that it is the glory of God to conceal a matter. But then later in Matthew 25, Jesus says, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. So it's the Lord's prerogative to hide or to reveal what he wants. But in this case, we're given a specific reason that God gave this series of visions to John. It's mainly because he desires to share uh, what is going to happen in the future. And some of these events are exciting, uh, while others are terrifying. So he wants to reveal future events, but again, why? And I think the implied answer here is for the sake of his servants. They, or, or, or we, are the intended audience for this book. The servants of God are those who are to read this. Now, why do you suppose the Lord decided to let faithful believers know what was coming? That's one of the answers. Yeah, for those of you that didn't hear, that's okay, you'll hear it in just a second, but Miss Peggy was right. She said, so that we might be prepared. So that we can tell others. I don't even think I wrote that down. Who was that? Good call. Very nice. Thank you, Christy. Um, as weird as it may sound, I think sometimes God, it seems he just enjoys revealing things to people because when he does that, it shows the nature of his character. Like he, he likes to open people's eyes. He likes to reveal facets of himself through the things that he reveals to people. And in fact, there are a few places in Scripture where the Apostle Paul talks about mysteries. And they're, they're things that, that God reveals to those who are in Christ. In fact, in, in Colossians, we were reading Colossians earlier. Uh, he says, I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. So there, there is that. He likes to show us things, but, but I think there may be at least three more reasons, and these aren't in the notes, but again, you can write them down if you want. First, in order that his servants can be spiritually and mentally and perhaps even physically prepared for what is to come, okay? Now, secondly, so that they will be able to recognize what it is hap what's happening when it's happening, okay? Which I think goes into what you were saying, so we can tell others, right? And it will remind them, or remind us, that God is sovereign over all of these events. And also, they've been planned from the beginning. I think that's something important for us to remember. Okay? For those who trust in the Lord, it's going to be a great sense of comfort when we see these things and go, okay, I know that God has got this. And thirdly, it means we'll be able to see what the end game is. 
You know, we, we, we can see what eternal life is going to look like. It'll help us to keep our eyes on the prize. And this will make it much easier to go through persecution, I believe, if we, if we have God's promises of a restored creation that we're going to inhabit with joy, living in peace with God. That helps us to have the joy and peace now, no matter what we're going through. Now, there, there is some really scary stuff in the book of Revelation. You know, um, and, and there's also some, some greatly encouraging passages for us. Now, a lot of them come way toward the end, <laughs> so that's why you got to hang tough through this, but, but I think it's safe to say that the book of Revelation, it wasn't written to cause division among the servants of Christ. It, we don't need to disfellowship, you know, each other over how much of it's literal or who we think the beast is, you know, but, but it's important that we have our eyes and our ears open so that if these things happen in our lifetime, we're going to be ahead of the curve. It's quite plausible that Jesus Christ could return in our lifetimes. And because of this, I think, I, I, you know, I think it's John's point. Let me back up. I think it's John's point that's meant to be impressed on every Christian is that Christ could return at any moment. I mean, he could. He says, for the time is near. You know, we're, we're supposed to recognize, he says it's coming soon. <laughs> you know, we, we need to recognize the immediacy as well as the inevitability of the second coming. You know, why else would the Holy Spirit inspire John to use phrases like the things that must soon take place? You know, this certainly sounds like we shouldn't get too comfortable in this world. You know, this shouldn't be our home because Jesus is coming back. And he could come back at any moment. And I think sometimes we're a little bit inured to this fact because, you know, we've been waiting on Jesus for two millennia now as a church. And so we, we, we can't let that make us spiritually fat and lazy in the meantime. There's a parable or two that Jesus tells about that, you know, about servants who misbehave and the master returns at a time they're not expecting. So, so now we understand, at least to some extent, why God provided a revelation of what's to come. So uh, continuing with verse 1 and then into verse 2, he made it known by sending his angel to his servant God, excuse me, servant John, not God, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ even to all that he saw. So where our first sentence explained the reason behind this revelation, this tells us about the representative or representatives that God sent in order to convey his message. So, so we read the why, now we're being introduced to the who behind this revelation. Now there's actually a, a couple of representatives that are mentioned right here in this passage. First, the heavenly messenger, right? And that's whom God refers, excuse me, I keep saying God instead of John, I don't know why, whom John refers to as God's angel. It's the same sentence, but I keep swapping words. Now, this can be confusing when we read the word angel because I think when we think of an angel, you think of, you know, like a Christmas card angel, right? I mean, hopefully not a Valentine's Day card angel, you know, the little fat diapered baby with the bow. You know, you probably think of some, some you know, the wings and all that because we almost always think of the created beings that are in the spirit realm because that's most often how the word is used in the New Testament. But the actual Greek word translated angel literally means messenger. Okay, that's what he's saying. So, and the heavenly being who appears to John first and foremost in this book and who conveys 
this message that's intended for the servants of the Lord is actually Jesus Christ himself. That's who I think it is, because he, he talks about that shortly. So when he says messenger, I, I think that's who he's referring to. I'm not 100% sure, but it would make sense if the word angel simply means messenger in the basic sense. But either way, either way, there's a messenger from heaven bringing God's message, but who also designated an earthly messenger to be uh, the heavenly to earth ambassador. So I want you to just pause there for a second. Have you ever wondered? You ever wondered why God so often speaks through carefully selected human beings? I mean, think about it. It's very rare in Scripture. I, I, only, I was thinking about I can only think of a couple of times. One's in Exodus, and, uh, and then one is in the, book, the Gospel of John, actually. But where, where God speaks from heaven and everybody hears it. You know, the vast majority of the time the Lord speaks to an individual, then that individual spreads the message. We see that in nearly all the Old Testament prophets. We see it in the case of Christ himself. Uh, I mean, he, even, he said, I only speak what the Father gives me, right? And so the message, you know, that's being proclaimed, not from the heavens, but from the lips of a fully human being, who in Jesus' case was also fully God. Anyway, that's, by the way, we read that earlier, for those of you that that don't know where that's found in Scripture. Not only does Jesus refer to himself as being one with God, he also, when we read Colossians 1, it says the fullness of the deity was in him. Okay, did you catch that? Anyway, uh, the heavenly messenger came from Christ and was revealed to John, the apostle whom Jesus loved, in order to give it to us. Now you say, well, why John? Okay, because at, at this point in history, this is around 81 A.D., John was, was the only original apostle of Christ that had not yet died. I mean, even Paul had been killed about 15 years before this was written. And it's quite possible there was almost no one left who, who was an eyewitness throughout the whole earthly ministry of Jesus. You know, John had walked side by side with him. He'd, he'd seen nearly everything he did. And John was also, he's probably the only disciple who witnessed the death of Jesus from up close. We know from Scripture that he was at the cross. And in fact, in his gospel, he made this very profound statement. He said, but when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. By the way, that's a fulfillment of prophecy. But one of the script, uh, soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth. Why? So that you may believe. So that you may believe. The overwhelming purpose of John's life was to observe and experience Christ for himself and then convey what he had seen and heard to the whole wide world. This, this passage from Revelation it specifically mentions two things that John was a witness to. The first is the Word of God. Now, because this is the Apostle John speaking, I don't think he's referring to the written Word. I think he's talking about the Logos that came into the world and took on human form. After all, he is, he is the one who wrote, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, right? He says, he was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him. He goes on to say, and without him, nothing was made that has, that has been made. So he was the agent of creation. 
He says, and the word became flesh, verse 14, and made his dwelling among us. Literally, it says in the Greek, he tabernacled among us. We have seen his glory. Glory is of the only son of the father, full of grace and truth. So, he's seen the word. And the second is, he's been an eyewitness to the testimony of Jesus Christ. And that could be, that could be um, interpreted at least a couple of different ways. I mean, perhaps one obvious option is that John is sharing his own personal testimony of what he has seen with Jesus. And maybe that's the case, because not only was he, was he present for nearly all of the miracles, you know, seeing as he was really, he was, he was even in the inner circle, right? The three guys, Peter, James, and John. But, but he also saw Jesus' death on the cross for our sins, and he saw him after he had been buried in a tomb and resurrected from the dead. You know, but all that, all that stuff, it's incredibly important, but I don't think that's what John is talking about. I don't think he's talking about himself. I think he's referring to Jesus' own testimony about himself. You know, one of the, one of the most unique things about John's gospel, it's very different from the other gospels in the way that it's written. It focuses less on Jesus' miracles and, and on Jesus' parables and instead, it gives us more of a, a, an intimate narrative of Jesus' life. It contains a whole lot more of what Jesus said about himself, too. In fact, John's gospel, John's gospel is where we learn that Jesus is not only the Son of God, but he is also God the Son, as we read earlier. And this is restated in, in, by, by the Savior, in chapter 10 of John's gospel, when he says, I and the Father are one. And then he goes on to provide evidence. He says, if I'm not doing the works of my Father, then don't believe me. Says, but if I do them, you know, even though you don't believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand the Father is in me and I am in the Father. And this, this ends up being tremendously important as we go through the book of Revelation, because many of the claims that Christ made about himself while he was here on earth are, are, are verified and magnified when we see him in his glorified form. In short, John is the perfect person to write this book. So now we know why Revelation was written. We know to whom and by whom it was written. But verse, verse 3 reveals the what. You know, the reason that God is looking to see uh, in, in those who are privileged to receive this, re excuse me, the result that God is looking to see. Sorry, not reason. You, will you guys pray with me for a second? God, you know what's going on in my head right now. Um, Father, I, I pray for focus. I really want to convey this message accurately, and I'm distracting by reading words wrong and by struggling, and you know, you know, um, you know what my concern is, and you know that situation. And Father, I pray that you will do a mighty work in that situation. And God, I ask that I'm able to focus on what I'm saying for the sake of your people, so that they can hear this and take it home with them. And I thank you, God, that you speak through a flawed and cracked vessel to other flawed and cracked vessels. And we pray that your light shines through that. And um, bless us in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. The result that God is looking to see 
and those who are privileged to receive this revelation. We're going to read that now. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. So the last question that our verses today answers for us is what is the response that God intends to evoke from his people with this amazing apocalyptic you know, vision, this, this series of revelation? I think this is probably the easiest one because it's, it's really spelled out well. <laughs> like You can look at it and go, That's, he pretty much tells us. Um, and that's firstly, God intends for this to be read. And specifically, to be read aloud, right? Okay? So remember, they, they didn't have smartphones in these days. The, the printing press hadn't even come out for another 1,500 years or so. But somehow the people of God needed to receive this message. And so clearly, John felt it was important not only for his, his first century, that, that contemporary audience, but also for subsequent generations to, to, to get the chance to discover what's in store for the kingdoms of the world and for the kingdom of God. So this needed to be written down. It needed to be passed along. So this, this great mystery of what was to come, it was, it was no longer intended to be hidden from God's people. Instead, it's to be widely proclaimed and thus to be heard. Now, like the, the gospel, which Paul said in Romans 10 would have to be preached in order to be to be uh, heard, right? And it would have to be heard in order to be believed. Well, so this, this good news of the return of Christ also needs to be heard to be believed. And it needs to be preached or proclaimed in order to be heard. It, it's hard to catch something that hasn't been thrown at you, right? Maybe I should say thrown to you. I don't know. <laughs> but so, so this revelation is intended to be read aloud, and heard, but perhaps most importantly, it must be kept. This is an interesting choice of words. There are many commands in the book of Revelation that are given to the people of God for them to obey, but the vast majority of what is written in this book is description rather than instruction. And so when John refers to, to keeping the words of this prophecy, the Greek indicates that the words are to be treasured, to be held dear, to be protected. We see a similar admonition at the end of the book as well. And this lines up well with the rest of Scripture. You know, God doesn't want our lip service. He wants our hearts. He wants us to offer our bodies as living sacrifices in service to Him. As Jesus' half-brother James wrote, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. And I hope you, I hope you caught that little section there. This is, this is really important. If a person reads the word, even memorizes the word, but does not obey the word, they are deceiving themselves about their allegiance to Christ. The one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. See, there's that concept again, right? He'll be blessed in his doing. So John says, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, blessed are those who hear and who keep 
what is written in it. So, so see, we, we are expected to, to read and to hear and to keep these words, but it's not for nothing. God actually promises to bring blessing to those who do. It's pretty neat when you think about it. I mean, this is a very common theme. All throughout Scripture, when we do what God says, He blesses us. Unfortunately, when we rebel against what God says, we receive cursing instead of blessing. And John covers more of that at the end of Revelation, but we're not there, so we're going to focus on the blessing. The Greek word here that's translated blessed is, is sometimes translated happy. You know, certain translations you may read the, the Matthew 5. It says, happy are the meek, things like that. I, I don't like that translation because it is so much more than, it's so much stronger than that. Strong's Concordance translate the word as supremely blessed. It's the same root word that Jesus uses in the Sermon on the Mount when he gives the Beatitudes. There's a deep connection between blessing and keeping the word of God. Can I assume everybody in this room wants to be blessed? Yeah? And listen, I'm not talking about health and wealth or getting all your dreams to come true. I'm talking about being truly favored and contented, satisfied with God and, and at rest and at peace with yourself and with the Lord. Don't you want that? It sounds awesome. I want that. I have some of that. I'm growing in it. I hope you are too. And so we're going to continue to study the book of Revelation, and I'm going to read it aloud, and you're going to hear. And hopefully we will all keep the words of this prophecy. You know, hold them near and dear to your spirit, because listen, guys, Christ is coming back. He's coming back, and he wants us to be ready and waiting. You know, church, the, the Holy Spirit led John twice in this three verses to indicate that the time is near. You know, it's true that time means very little to the Lord. Jesus may not rend the skies for another, you know, couple millennia. We don't know. Or he could come back before I finish this sermon. You know, he, we don't know. Are you ready for him? Are you ready for him to come back? Is your heart prepared? Have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ for your salvation? Do you believe on him as a sacrifice that paid for your sins and is now seated at the right hand of God interceding for you? And if you believe, are you keeping his word? What did Jesus say? If you love me, you will keep my commands. If you do believe, have you professed your faith? Have you been immersed in the waters of baptism? Have you repented of your sin? Have you begun to walk in the newness of life? You can start today. You can start today. Even if you made all those commitments with your mouth and even with your mind and, and even with your heart long, long ago, but you realize that you're on a slippery slope and you've been facing the wrong direction, turn around. 